Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another outstanding edition of Ghost Chronicles International with the gold standard in ghost hunting and world-famous traveler Steve Parsons and the most humble New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kolick. Humble. Well, humble. Yeah. Humble. And, and, what's, and what's with the world-famous? Oh, you're world famous. You're now famous in another country, uh, Ireland or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I'm pretty well, well known there. Media all over you. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it was it was a quiet news week, I guess. So uh, there was nothing better to talk about than Halloween. But no, it was a great week. I've just come back from Ireland this time last week. I was just stepping off the well. Yeah, about this time last week, I was just stepping off the boat and having having my head chopped off by a zombie knight. I think you've seen the pictures. Yeah. 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 There you go. That was fun. Not you know, if you were dressed up, I might have been impressed, but no. Uh, what do ghost hunters wear? What? What is it that ghost hunters wear? I don't do the dressing up stuff. Listen, listen. I haven't got a dressing up box like you. You're the one with the dress. You're. You can keep saying jumpsuits all night long, but you're the one with the dress. You're the one with the dressing up box. Whatever. So anyways, uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, Planet Paranormal, TuneIn, iTunes, Ghostbox. Wherever else ghosty shows are played. So there you go. So, Mr. Parsons, you just finished up at uh, Anson Court Castle there, whatever it is, in Ireland. And it was uh, an outstanding uh, weekend, I understand. Uh, well, I had an, ex- an outstanding week. Whether anybody else did, you have to ask them because uh, you, you never ask the person delivering the talk how well it went. Uh, mm-hmm. You always ask the people on the receiving oh. end. And oh, it's all about you. There was no other... I have to say, of huh? course there was. Uh, you spoke last week. Uh, we've spoken to our uh, my host, Michael Benson at Wexford Paranormal, and to Jackie mm-hmm. up at the castle, uh, Ennis Corthy Castle, and... Uh, they did most of the hard work. All I did was just was turn up and do some talks and stuff. Right, sort of like you, when you come over here, you know, I do all the hard work. That's, and that's, that's and, the one. Uh, get that's all the, the glory. One. I mean, that's, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. You see, you've got it down to a fine art. I turn up, do some stuff, home tea and medals. Yeah, get you two pence and jump back on the ferry and ride home. Uh, well, you've got the fee right anyway. <laughs> Dollar a day. Tis what it is. <laughs> no, it was a great. It was a great time, and people had travelled some distance, and the weather wasn't particularly kind to people. So, uh, it. Uh, I was grateful to see them, and I was really uh, pleased to have been invited to spend Halloween over in Ireland. It was a great time, and a great bunch of people. Very friendly bunch of people. We did three talk. I did three talks while I was over there. The first night was the uh, Orb talk, which was re. It was an old talk that um, 
but sort of refreshed for 2014, taking into consideration some new new advances in our understanding of the phenomena. Uh, the next night was the story of ghost hunting, which looked at uh, the past, the present, and even the future. A little bit of futurology, and the third night was Halloween, and so it was uh, more focused on fun and having some uh, laughs to warm people up for the ghost hunt ahead. So it was, we did. I did a, a little talk that uh, looked at some famous and not so famous ghost photographs taken over the ages. Oh, excellent, excellent. Now, uh, do they celebrate um, Halloween the same we we do in the states? Uh, uh, yeah, almost exactly. Uh, the same. I, I don't think they have reached quite the extent of celebrations as America has, and certainly there is an absolute lack of pumpkin chai, gasoline, tea, coffee, muffins. Uh, there are plenty of decor- house decorations. There are plenty of parties. There are plenty of celebrations. Several people described it as uh, their Christmas. Uh, so yeah, it, it's big over in Ireland. It's much bigger there than it is here in the UK. Do the kids go around dressed up in costumes? Oh, like abs- absolutely, absolutely, they do. Even the adults go dressed up, get dressed up on Halloween over there, and uh, whether they go door to door. But uh, yeah, it's it's very very big in Ireland. Uh, and it's it, we we here in the UK have our we have two celebrations very close together. Tomorrow night we have Bonfire Night, which is the celebration of the only man ever to enter British Parliament with he honest intentions. Enter. Well, no, he entered Parliament. He was the only man ever to enter Parliament with honest intention. That was to blow it up, Guy Fawkes. Right. And so we celebrate the fifth of November by burning effigies of him and filling the air with fireworks. And we have. Uh, you know, uh, roast chestnuts and hot dogs and all that sort mushy of stuff peas. tomorrow night. Uh, yes, we have mushy peas. Mm-hmm. Remember, uh, remember the fifth of September, November. No, fifth of November. Yeah. Gunpowder gun treason and plot. There you go. Yeah. So we have the two back to back, and bonfire night is still the bigger of the two celebrations here in the UK. Uh, what I was interesting is I found out that fireworks are actually illegal in the Republic of Ireland. Really. Yeah, unless you have a license to uh, let them off, you can't just go up to your local supermarket like you can here in the UK and buy some. Oh, you can't do it in, in Massachusetts either. Well, that's quite right. I mean, you know, you've got to be very careful who you give explodey things to, and uh, right. the Americans, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you can go to your supermarkets buy guns. You know, the interesting thing about that is, is no no self-respecting enemy would ever take over the United States because they would be outgunned so badly. And that's just by the ordinary people, not counting the military. Well, I always I always thought that, um, you know, when we, we, we sort of cross out from ghosts a minute into the world of aliens and UFOs, that mm-hmm. some of the abduction tales that I've read over the years from North America actually, to me, reinforce this belief in intelligent alien life forms because... Uh, you know, they, they come and abduct Americans, realize that they've got an American, and give them back. Of course you do. Uh, you know, I was interested. I mean, we always talk about peripheral vision, right? You, you, do we? Do we? Yes, we do. We all, oh, okay. Apparently all, we ghost, do. all ghost hunters talk about peripheral vision and your peripheral yes. vision. And edge, your, edge of field and all that sort of stuff, yeah. So what, what do you know about peripheral vision? Well, we all have it. Um, I'll, I'll, there is, I, there is uh, the only real 
suggested link between peripheral apparitions is that done by Vic Tandy relating to infrasound. And he did say that uh, he believed that a frequency around 19 hertz caused the eyeball to oscillate, and this might be one of the effects that caused peripheral vision apparitions. However, my own research, my own PhD research that looked at infrasound found no link at all between 19 hertz and any uh, phenomena related to visual apparitions. And that was with a survey of, of over a thousand people, ultimately. And, and uh, just, all right, go ahead. I know we've got our guests coming on the line, so you, you have anything else you got to say on that, or is that pretty much finished? No, that's pretty much it. That's done and dusted. Yeah. Well, in, in reality, I found out that we actually have better vision in our peripheral vision because we have more rods. and We have better motion detection. Yes, yes, which is kind of interesting. Uh uh, most people poo-poo it because, like, oh, you know, I thought I saw it because it's only in my peripheral vision. Well, in reality, uh, your peripheral vision may be better than your regular well, vision. It, it's think. it's certainly good for motion detection, but not definition. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, cones. Yeah. So, anyways, we uh, definitely uh, have a guest on, and I know this guy is really busy. Uh, he's jetting all over the place, doing all kinds of uh, stuff. So, anyways, look, without further ado, let me introduce a gentleman who you are aware of and I've had on shows before. He's an outstanding guy from the West Coast, and we won't hold that against him, Mr. Lloyd Arbeck. Hi there. Hi, good evening. Hi good evening. There. Or good afternoon. <laughs> uh, well, it's nearly good night here. It's uh, eight, <laughs> right. ten, 10 after 8. And, and I haven't even had lunch yet. <laughs> <laughs> Steve always tells us, Lloyd, that he's coming from my future. Right, right. Well, in this case, you've got uh, past, future, and present all in the same call. That's right, it's, depending on your perspective. It's all relative. It, it is, it is. And, and uh, Lloyd, you, you have been a uh, outstanding leader in the field of the paranormal for many, many years, as well as a fantastic chocolatier, as I hear. Uh, but you have... Uh, you have a new book coming out, which is kind of interesting because it it's really switches off from the ghosts and we go into ESP and, and the government and all that stuff, right. which is kind of intriguing. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about it and why you chose to write it, which is sure. a fascinating thing? Well, you know, I, I think um, while I've been kind of pegged in the ghost whole, um, niche, I've my initial book, so I wrote a book on psychic dreams, and I wrote a book about reincarnation, and one on psychokinesis. So, uh, and I teach courses on all aspects of parapsychology. So I'm kind of a generalist in many respects. Um, the new book, which has been out actually for a couple months now, it's actually available on Amazon and Amazon UK, by the way. Um, it's called ESP Wars East and West, and it's an account of uh, the U.S. and Soviet Russian governments use of psychic espionage by the military in both those uh, both those countries and it's i'm actually the third author in the book i was brought into the project to really kind of bring it up to speed uh, the material comes from the main author edwin c may who was the project director of our what was called the stargate project from 1985 to 1995 but was actually involved in the project in 1975 and that was the, the, our government's remote viewing and kind of related psychic spying program. And then Victor Rubel, who's the second author, who works with Ed, 
um, had arranged for several Russian generals who were involved in their programs and still somewhat involved to contribute their side of the story and to bring in some of the con- testimony from some of the scientists involved and some of the other areas. So it's, it's kind of a, a fascinating account of how the programs in both countries started and some of what they found. Uh, we have some really great information from a couple of the, the, the main remote viewers for our, our side, as well as really fun stories from a couple of these Russian generals about their programs and their findings and some of the psychics that were involved actually contributed to it as well on that side. And then also it covers how the programs ended and why they ended on both sides and why they haven't pretty much been resurrected, at least you know in any way that anyone on either side knows about. Right. I, I remember when um, I'm trying to think of uh, who it was, and, and I'm awful with names, so I do apologize. The premier of Russia, the, the shot fat guy uh, before Putin uh, or after Putin could be. But I, I remember he ended up with some type of a, a, a problem. And it was rumors going around that he was actually the target of a, a psychic assassin. Did you ever hear anything about that? Well, you know, Gorbachev himself, even before Yeltsin, who was somewhat involved here, um, Gorbachev himself did have a couple of psychics who were considered um, his psychic shield. And Mm -hmm. Alexei Savin was brought in, and Boris Yeltsin were kind of involved in, uh, in that. And it wasn't so much kind of psychic attack. It was pretty clear, actually, from the Russian sources that while they spent billions of dollars in all aspects of this area, you know, they were tasked with trying to create psychotronic weaponry and psychotronic generators, which none of which ever worked. And they were hoping to kind of even influence um, telepathically some of the opposing politicians, even Reagan and other people, but they weren't able to get that to happen. But they were concerned that somebody else might do it to them. So they did have psychics kind of running interference for them. And then Yeltsin himself did con- consult with um, uh, Boris Ratnikov, General Ratnikov, who was his, one of his aides, one of working with him. And Ratnikov himself was a bit psychic, was actually KGB, uh, and had provided information to Yeltsin on a few instances. There's actually some fun stories about Boris Yeltsin, if you want to cons- consider the fact that the, the Soviet Union slash Russia almost went to war a couple times, if not for some commentary from the psychics, who kind of convinced them otherwise. Really? Um, they're, they're really interesting stuff about politically and otherwise about both sides. It sounds like a really interesting book. And, and you know, we know about the Stargazer program and some of the other government that spent them quite a bit of money on some of these programs. Uh, yeah, our, but, program, our program actually was not, frankly, it was a, a minimalistic program when it comes right down to it. The budget in the 22 years was about $21 million which is probably less than what they spent on toilets for the Pentagon. (laughs) (laughs) Lloyd, uh, you're a parapsychologist by qualification, and you seem to fly in the face of most parapsychologists uh, in in what you study. You've worked closely on spontaneous cases, Mm -hmm. and here we are. uh, You're uh, uh, co-authoring a book looking at psychic spying. Um, How does that sit with your colleagues? Because, you know, I I know many parapsychologists here in the UK, and I'll be honest with you, most of them wouldn't venture out the lab for any of this sort of stuff and uh, don't really give it the time of day. Does that sit comfortably with parapsychologists? 
parapsychologists uh, or within parapsychology, do you feel? It, it does and it does and it doesn't. <clears throat> there are some of my colleagues who are very much focused on laboratory work, and them, they themselves would not go out there. I think, you know, over the years I've been referred cases by um, folks in the Parapsychological Association and even media contacts, and I always got the feeling that they were going to, you know, they didn't want to deal with it, and it's good that they had somebody to give it to, even though they may or may not have agreed with what I was doing. <laughs> it was more like, you know, okay, I don't want this, so let's give it to Lloyd. <laughs> um, certainly, the survival of bodily death implications of what we do in spontaneous cases, especially with, with the apparitions and hauntings type investigations. I mean, it, most parapsychologists in the U.S. are supportive of looking at spontaneous cases and experiences, they may not agree, however, with the implications for survival. I mean, some do and some don't. Um, just about to leave tomorrow for the Forever Family Foundation's Afterlife Conference, which is a combination of mostly scientists, researchers, including some parapsychologists, talking about the evidence for various aspects of life after death, research from reincarnation to near-death experiences and so on. And, you know, there's a, there's a group of us, uh, certainly, that our focus in that area, and we have lively discussions, but not dismissive discussions with our colleagues. I've, I've said several times uh, on the show, and uh, indeed at, the, at SPR conferences, uh, that I think parapsychologists are perhaps uh, some of the, the last people I would like to see investigating spontaneous cases. Now, there are one or two exceptions, and I've put you in that one or two exceptions category several times. Uh, it's rare that parapsychologists do investigate spontaneous cases. Yeah. Um, and when they do, they seem to they seem to go in there with a certain uh, predisposition towards already having explained it. Um, what's your view on parapsychology and ghost hunting? Well, uh, you know, ghost hunting—the way it's practiced by most of the folks out there—really comes from the TV shows rather than anything yeah. based in psychical research or parapsychology. Um, I have always contended that. In order to really be a good investigator, you've got to know what the findings are of the laboratory researchers, because ESP and psychokinesis are involved in all these experiences outside the lab as well, even the ghostly ones. So it helps to know the basis there. You may not be, certainly not going to be applying the same methodologies because we're not trying to do a controlled experiment, um, but at the same time, we need to know a little bit about that. And it's been pretty clear, and most of the researchers in the laboratory that I've talked to are interested in what I'm doing and what other folks are doing, even, even the applied side. They certainly were interested in the remote viewing work that uh, Ed May has done uh, because it has implications for the laboratory research. And, and the remote viewing research actually is amongst the best controlled research out there. And when it comes right down to it, it just has a, you know, I guess, practical application to it. Uh -huh. um, but I, I know the people you're talking about, and there are some of my colleagues who I would never bring along on a case simply because they don't have the social skills. <laughs> we see. I, I, want, I wasn't going to be quite that blunt. I was thinking more in terms of um, there. Are, there are instances where you have to be able to measure things uh, within the environment, uh, right. such as temperature. And I, I've seen countless examples where parapsychologists uh, seemingly lack the the basic skills to operate some of this engineering equipment. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's um, there certainly is that, and I think most of them are aware of of their um, level of ability to do that. Mm. Uh, 
they would, but most of the most of the folks that I've talked to, you know, they're interested in, in environmental conditions here. Um, but at the same time, they would probably bring somebody else in to do the measurements for them, which would make sense. I wish that like, would apply over here. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, you know, it makes a lot of sense to actually bring in someone who is an environmental yeah. scientist or someone from that uh, that area to do those measurements, or an engineer or somebody, rather yeah. than even do them yourself, because that way it's kind of it's it's clean and it's not. You don't have to worry about your biases at that point, too. Yeah. I, I, it doesn't seem to apply here in the UK. I've uh, read some papers quite mm-hmm. recently where parapsychologists have um, set out to measure things, and you know, somebody with a high school uh, grade in physics can, could probably drive a coach and horses through much of what, of what they're doing in terms of physical measurements. And it's... It, but you are absolutely right. Having, uh, you know, at the conferences, speaking to parapsychologists, we've often said that they're all secret ghost hunters. Yeah. <laughs> they, would, they, would, they would love to come out from, the, from the, uh, the labs and go a ghost hunting. But I think, I, I think that they're all very protective, A, of their reputations, and B, also of their funding. Yeah, it's um, the funding. I mean, frankly, um, yeah. you know, especially here in the United States, we have, we have the funding issue, and we have this... I can't say there's too much academic prejudice against the parapsychologists who are working because most of them are not working in academia in the same way. They don't have positions they ha- they have to protect. Um, but the funding issue is the major issue because there really hasn't been funding for spontaneous case investigations. No, I think that's that's extremely uh, an extremely difficult area. You were also involved, um, if I'm correct, with the American Society for Psychical Research, which I've reminded Ron on a number of occasions does actually, or I was going to say does actually exist. I suppose it still just well, about it, it, does. It, I, I guess it sort of exists. The building's still there. The library's still there. Nobody's yeah. be able to get into it. But uh, I was involved back in the, in fact, it was my first job out of graduate school. Uh, my parapsych- after my parapsychology program, I was uh, the public information and media officer for, for the ASPR in New York for a couple of years and uh, stayed you know, quite involved for a little while until it started petering out, um, you know, internal politics and all that. And uh, it, it's a really a shame. I, I would love to see it reopened. I'd love to see something happen there, but I'm not sure that anything's going to happen in the near future. I think you've just answered my next question, which was, uh, are you aware of any plans to re- uh, reinvigorate the ASPR? Because it does have a, a, a very illustrious history in psychical research. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, people have been trying, and I know that um, I'll be talking to a couple of people who have actually gotten in there um, over the next week and talked to the folks, the, the one or two people that are still there. I think what it really boils down to is the current board of the ASPR has got to... Um, figure out a way to reinvigorate from a financial perspective. And almost the only way to do that is to sell the building. And I'm not sure if this is the right time to do that. Right. I, I, I seem to recall um, an episode, I think, I, I, and I've, I've actually quoted this. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna stand to be corrected, Lloyd, because um, I think I've referred to you as one of the very first parapsychologists ever to conduct certainly in front of in front of camera investigations that involved uh, uh, a psychic and also the use of i think you had a trifield meter so yeah, notwithstanding gertrude schmeidler but um yeah certainly in a media in a media context so are we to blame are we going to lay the finger of blame at you for these uh, ghost gadgets then 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I have accepted the blame for this. Uh, not for the work with psychics, because certainly um, I learned that from someone else. Uh, Carlos Osis was working with uh, Alex Tanis, and there have been many parapsychologists and psychical researchers yeah, over yeah. the years who have worked with psychics. Uh, that was certainly not... I was not pointing the, the finger at the Trifield in particular. But the Trifield, yes. Um, Andrew Nichols, who's in Florida, and I, uh, apparently around the same time, discovered uh, the Trifield meter. And frankly, um, I... I happen upon the idea because of Michael Persinger's work with geomagnetic fields and thought to try to use um, other more affordable <laughs> pieces of equipment because getting a geomagnetic sensing station at that point was many thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. um, even today, the, the geomagnetic uh, you know, sensors you can buy are still closer to 1000 than they are to $100 here. They're not that cheap. But, you know, I started working with that partly because I was interested to see whether or not there were other magnetic fields that might be correlative, certainly not causal, but correlative to people's experiences. And I did find in, my, in the initial cases that I used it with, that, which were place memory or stone tape theory cases, uh -huh. if you want to call them that, haunting cases, residual haunting cases, that there were some very bizarre... Um, correlations with, with fairly high magnetic field for the environment with the power turned off, which was kind of unusual. Right. And then I had been asked for years and years and years, um, ever since Ghostbusters came out, they were all, all TV people were always after us to have things with lights on them. Yes. Yeah. And gizmos. Uh, you know, Tony Cornell you had gizmos. He, he had his spider uh, sensing set uh, back, I think, in the late 60s mm -hmm. using different environmental sensors. So I'm certainly not the first one to do that, um, and people use even compasses before that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just that, uh, of course, I am to blame for probably bringing it on TV. Uh, <laughs> I am not to blame for the editing they did. <laughs> <laughs> coming, I, I know we're coming up to a break, but there's one question I'm dying to ask um, or get your opinion on because the latest we've moved, the, the ghost hunting world has moved away from EMF meters now. They've uh, given yeah, up chatting well. to these devices, and they they now uh, very very commonly I encounter groups using Frank's boxes, ghost boxes, and uh, these ITC devices. Do you have any thoughts on those? Oh yeah, uh, you know many of them purport to either be random scanners or use some sort of random device inside. And there are two things I have uh, thoughts. Number one, we have decades of research showing that living human beings can affect random number generators and random event generators. So to, to put all the um, source of anything unusual on any of these devices to just spirits is to fly in the face of evidence. Uh, human beings are probably involved, living human beings are involved in a lot of this. That's number one. But number two, more importantly, have any of these devices really been checked for randomnessity to see if they, in their rest state, they're actually doing what they say they're doing? And I don't know that that's the case. So until that happens, you know, we have no calibration for even knowing what's going on there. Okay. I know we're almost up on the break, but uh, I'll, you'll be back after the break, I guess, for a little bit. I know you've got to go. But um, what about the human influence on a lot of the paranormal activity? Is there Are we a greater influence than people believe we are? And, uh, we, you know, it, well, we probably you are. That, uh, we'll, we'll answer that after the break. Okay. Boy, sorry about that. Right. Anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, International right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, Planet Paranormal, the Ghost Box, or wherever else it can be found. We'll be right back after the following messages.
Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be. With remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased, we'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Downton Abbey brings us back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International, and I can only apologise for the low volume of the last trailer. Uh, our special guest tonight is parapsychologist and uh, magician, chocolatier, uh, all-round good guy, Lloyd Auerbach. And just before the break, Ron had asked him a question that I, for the life of me, can't remember what it was. So over to Ron. It, actually, it, it was about the influence of the human factor in uh, paranormal activity. Is it overlooked? Yeah, I, I think it's totally overlooked. Um, you know, first, we have to remember that psychology of the witnesses is involved here, and, and even psychology... Um, and perception of the ghost hunters is heavily involved. I, 
uh, people may have, uh, I'm sure you've heard me rant a little bit against working in total darkness for a number of reasons. Uh, it's just not a good way to be a good observer. It's actually a lousy way of being a good, good observer. And well, there's tons of psychological uh, papers on that, on perception in the dark. And there's actually even information on, um, on that from the magician mentalist world. Uh, we know quite a bit about how you can distract people or shift people's attention very easily in the dark. But as far as the devices and such go, um, you know, I will say, going back to the whole parapsychologist question, there are some parapsychologists who don't believe in psychokinesis. <laughs> so, and there are some who don't believe in macro PK, meaning things moving that you can see, but, but do believe, uh, based on the evidence, that people can influence electronic devices. And that's where our data actually is, is with most electronic devices. So we have this issue of human influence, or at least human interaction with the devices in one way, shape, or form. And one of the things I've noticed over the years with electronic voice phenomena, at least here in the States, is that, and I've talked to many dozens of ghost hunting groups and individuals from groups over the years, and they're, they're telling me about their EVPs, and I've talked to some of the people who do EVP research, and it's really fascinating to find that most ghost hunting groups have like one person who almost always gets EVP, and very often a lot of EVP, whereas the rest of them in the same locations may get zero or only a couple of things here and there, which suggests that that person is somehow involved, whether they are psychokinetically affecting the device themselves or part and parcel of this circuit that might happen with spirits or if there's something else going on altogether. Uh, you know, there's something else going on. So there is a living human interface or interaction here on multiple levels, and this is where it's really important for investigators to know a little bit about what parapsychologists have learned in the laboratory in relation to human-machine interaction. Mm -hmm. Do you find that generally that paranormal investigators tend to uh, resent uh, forms of education or resent any challenge to their evidence but, oh, you know, when they present these EVPs or these um, these stunning evidence videos that they present yeah uh, there there is a huge chip on everybody's shoulder it seems and it's partly frankly it's partly put there by the TV shows which is what got a lot of these people started to begin with you know here in the United States um, you know over in the UK you had most haunted but here we had Ghost Hunters, which has been around for 10 years, and that's really the one that got so many of these folks started. Um, he had a couple of guys who were plumbers who, did, yeah. who had no Super, education. Yeah, I call them the Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, they had no education. They still have this no education in this, in this area, other than their personal experience. And, you know, 30 years of, of doing bad investigations doesn't mean you're a good investigator. No, but it means you're a superstar and well on the way to being a millionaire. Well, that's right. They, uh, once they actually figured out that they could keep their licensing and do a lot of other things, um, they certainly weren't doing that the first year or two. I've been involved in a number of conferences lately, Lloyd, where the question of has parapsychology achieved anything has come up, and uh, there have been some interesting debates between parapsychologists mm -hmm. and uh, what are now uh, a group of individuals now calling themselves anomalous psychologists. The general consensus seems to be that parapsychology is has had its day and what people should be actually studying is anomalous psychology and that parapsychology, uh, parapsychology as a uh, pursuit, as, a, as an area of study, really has, has failed to achieve what it set out to, to do. Uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that? 
Well, I don't think parapsychology has failed. I think that what's happened is that um, academia has more and more been closed off to even looking at the evidence. Uh, and I, I do think that anomalous psychology is an important area. There's no question about that. And I, but I think that, that in some respects, parapsychology needs to morph into more of a consciousness studies area because we are studying phenomena of consciousness. Um, you know, by definition, that's what we're studying. We're studying, in some respects, consciousness itself uh, when we're talking about survival of bodily death, possibly. But to go from just a purely experiential perspective, um, psychological perspective, you know, there's a lot of issues in psychology about psychic functioning and about ESP, about psychokinesis, about all these other areas, and a lot of prejudice. Uh, in fact, it's found, uh, some couple of surveys have found that at least in the United States, uh, in academia, the greatest prejudice against the possibility that psi even exists, it comes from psychology. So while you can kind of repackage yourself as an anomalous psychologist and have some more um, acceptance academically and scientifically, it doesn't mean you're, you're going to get to the root of what's going on. And I think parapsychologists have done a hell of a job over the last 130 years, given the, the, the almost total lack of funding and lack of personnel in the field. Um, it just may be that anomalous psychology may be the way to get funding. And I, I do agree that parapsychology needs to repackage itself. We just haven't been able to figure out how to do it. it you know, it's interesting is you have a mentalist background as well. Yeah. And I, I find that, you know, fascinating because it, it's a great tool in, in doing what you do. And I know that uh, this past uh, year, we do this uh, yearly event out here on the, on the East Coast called uh, Spirit Quest, and Steve Parsons been a, a part of it for the past couple of years. And one of the things we did was a red light seance. We were looking at the rise of spiritualism, and it was performed by a magician. Mm -hmm. So uh, by, by actually, and, and you know, some people actually get offended by it because uh, they thought it was an, an attack on, you know, the, the whole spiritualist movement, on mediums and so forth. But it wasn't. It was just another look at how things could be done uh, right. if they wanted to look at it. So, I mean, as far as your mentalist and stuff, I mean, uh, do you use that in your work in uh, in when you actually see other uh you know, investigations and stuff like that. Do you see, uh, can you, could you expose stuff using what you know about mentalism? Well, my mentalism and actually before that magic background has absolutely helped me in understanding one, a couple of very important things. Uh, you know, of course, fraud is important, but frankly, other than some psychics claiming things or mediums claiming things, I haven't run into too much fraud uh, actual conscious fraud in the investigations. I've had a couple cases, but very, very That's few. Cool. That's good. Uh, but it's been helpful, incredibly helpful in understanding how people misunderstand and misperceive what's going on. You know, take the whole idea of working in the dark. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's very clear from the seance work and other work that I and some of my colleagues have done and certainly people have done in history and in mentalism and magic, it's pretty clear how easy it is for people to be fooled by their own senses and misunderstand what's going on. I, I was just actually with a ghost hunting group in Idaho, and they mentioned, uh, I was talking to someone who actually had come down to a class I did there from, uh, from Montana, and apparently he's got someone who's blind in his group, who is the per who's a great person to have in the dark. Because that person, if that person is like, is perfect 
because they don't, you know, light has no play on their perceptions, and they're a much better observer in that respect. You know, that's, uh, Lloyd, that's so funny because uh, two weeks ago I had uh, a gentleman on the show who was an, a head of an Irish group, and his daytime job was he was working with blind people. One of the questions I asked him, well, have you ever you know, received uh, or talked about the paranormal with any of your blind um, clients? And he said, no. And I thought that would have been a, an amazing, you know, uh, source of information. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is a book about uh, called Mindsight about the near-death experiences of, of the blind. And when I was actually researching my book on psychic dreaming, I talked to a few blind people, and their psychic dreams were, were very different, of course. Um, it did, and it all depended on whether they had been sighted at all in their life or had been born blind. But mm -hmm. it was you know, a really fascinating idea. And it's a fascinating idea to bring someone who's blind. If you're going to work in the dark, that's a good person who's an observer. Uh, so you know, I've learned through my magic and mentalism that uh, how people misunderstand very ordinary occurrences, how they can misconstrue them, how they can misperceive them. Uh, and in every case that I do, even the ones that I say uh, I've concluded are really paranormal, have something really happening, there is an, a chunk of it, a percentage, and often it's a large percentage, because the people were on edge after their first experience, they have misperceived a lot of other ordinary occurrences and grouped them in under the paranormal experience. And we have to separate every single one of those out from what might be the real experience. And certainly Absolutely. my accent has helped me with that. Absolutely. But I also know, I've also run in with the true believers. I mean, frankly, I've run into a lot of pushback when I've done my mentalism shows, people telling me that I'm making fun of my field. And, uh, you know, to which I tell them something that Charlie Tart told me, Charles Tart told me many years ago, which is a real sign of maturity is the ability to laugh at yourself. And that usually shuts them up. Yeah, that's true. Talking about blind blind um, people being used in, in investigations, um, we do have one blind psychic here in the UK, but interestingly, I attended an, uh, an a ghost hunt uh, a year or so ago here in Wales where it was conducted in the dark, but the medium insisted on being blindfolded so he could get no visual clues. Go figure that one out. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to make of that. <laughs> no, I didn't know what to make of it either, but he, he thought it would be more impressive if he was... Uh, bear in mind, it was pitch black, and uh, right. he then he then announced... Uh, he had be, he'd walked around the location you know, with all the lights on uh, for a few hours and then decided uh -huh. uh, to impress everybody by doing the same in the dark, blindfolded. So they were all... Just, wow. Uh, just, yeah. But I, as you I, can I, imagine, they were all uh, um, suitably impressed. And of course, it, they were it enha impressed. It enhanced uh, his in the light. A knowing. blindfold doesn't really guard against anything. I know that for being a mentalist. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lloyd, I know you have to go, and and I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us. Yes, uh, absolutely. It was a pleasure to speak with you, and uh, you. maybe if you have the time, sometime you can come back and we can discuss a few other things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We're happy to do yeah, that. Yeah, we haven't even touched on chocolate, one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> no, we haven't gotten there yet. No. <laughs> So, uh, Lloyd, before you go, you want to give out a couple of uh, places where people can, uh, you know, get a hold of you or, or sure. come to see you? Yeah, my uh, website is mindreader.com. That's an easy one to remember. There's a lot of uh, free information, articles and such there. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And also my email is there, which is just, I'll throw it out there, it's profparanormal, so like Professor Paranormal, so P-R-O-F paranormal at gmail.com. 
Um, but that's that's probably the best place to find me. And of course, uh, there's the ESP Wars book, which is available on Amazon.com and Amazon UK. So pretty much all over the world at this point. Uh, if people are interested in the psychic spying mm-hmm. area. And also, you want to give out a couple of your other ghost books because uh, sure. there is a lot of interest in that as well. Yeah, I have um, the most recent ghost book, which was written with a medium by the name of Annette Martin, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. It's mm-hmm. kind of like uh, it was us taking you on some of our trips and travels and investigations, uh, including some transcripts of our conversations and Annette's conversations, with the, at least her side of the conversation with the ghost, mm-hmm. and it's called The Ghost Detective's Guide to Haunted San Francisco. So awesome. it's a good way to learn about how a psychic and a parapsychologist work together. And then pre- prior to that, I, the books that are in print are A Paranormal Casebook, which came out in 2005, and then a pair of books which came out in 2004 called Ghost Hunting was the first one, and the other one's Hauntings and Poltergeists. And I will say about those two books... Um, uh, their content's good, but they're not up to my normal standards because the editor and publisher basically kind of wrecked it in, in the editing <laughs> process. <laughs> but uh, the content's good. Well, I have both of them on my bookshelf, so there you go. Yeah, they're they're good. They're just a little simplistic. Well, Lloyd, thank you so much, and uh, good luck at the conference, and uh, hopefully, like I said, we'll have you on again. Thanks very much. And Thank uh, you, Lloyd. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Ron. Oh, that was cool. That was very cool. It's, you see, it's it's good when we have somebody sensible on the show, isn't it, as a guest? What are you saying, Steve? We have well, insensible people on the show? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Would I Would I dare? But you heard what Lloyd said. I mean, he echoed many of the things that we've talked about uh, between ourselves on, on air. And uh, his methods are entirely val- valid. He is... I've mentioned Lloyd once or twice before on the show. Um, you have. As, as one of the very few parapsychologists who actually get out of the laboratories and uh, consider spontaneous cases as a worthwhile area of interest. Uh, there are there are literally just a handful of them around the world, and Lloyd is, is one of them. Lloyd has been um, probably leading the vanguard because Lloyd, Lloyd was in, in haunted houses before many of the current crop of parapsychologists were even out there. Um, so, yeah. I mean, he, he takes a lot of criticism, too. I mean, you know, he offers... Yeah, well, it's inevitable. He it's offers absolutely courses online, inevitable. you know, certifications with a lot of people uh, don't believe in that. Uh, but, I mean, you yeah, know... All, the, all these old... all these got, old th- got in trouble with the ghost hunters, you know, so that was a big problem, and... Well, is it a problem or is it just <laughs> is is it a bad thing to speak to speak your mind? Because Lloyd Lloyd has got qualifications, he's got experience, and inevitably, I mean, you you know, while I was over there, I ran a, a, a short course called Ghostology, right? And those are the sort of courses that do attract criticism. The criticism coming from mainly the ghost hunters, the people who the courses are intended to to help, because they come back with the well, what can you teach us? We already do it. Um, we've put our fingers in our ears and we've learned everything we know from television. And then they quote the, there can be no experts in the paranormal. There you go. 
But then, you know, I used to use that, by the way. I used to. Yeah, but you see, you can have expertise in 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 areas that are highly relevant. For example, my exactly. own qualifications. Uh, ghost hunting involves measuring things and understanding people. So my engineering background and my, my my medical qualifications give me an excellent grounding in that. So I am an expert in the art of ghost hunting. Whether that makes me an expert in the art of ghosts, I would deny because we don't know sufficiently uh, to say what a, what a ghost is. But ghost investigation uses certain well-understood techniques that are borrowed from engineering, that come from the world of physics, that come from the worlds of psychology. So absolutely you can have expertise. And also, of course, you, you don't have to have qualifications per se. You can develop expertise. You know, a lot of the great scientific discoveries and breakthroughs have, have been made by amateurs. What, I, what I've said countless times, in fact, I was saying in Ireland last week, amateurs have a great deal to bring to the party, but they do need to up their game. Instead of stopping when they get their orb or stopping when they get the really, you know, distinct class A EVP that... Uh, they, they, they don't go on any further from that. They don't question. They simply say, that's paranormal. You see it every Sunday on Facebook and on YouTube and uh, where people are vying with each other to get their astonishing evidence online. They, they're not questioning their own evidence. They're not examining their own evidence. They're rushing to, to get it through audacity, chop it up into little bits and throw it onto, onto Facebook and beg for likes. And that's the other way around, too. Just because certain things are accepted in the scientific community doesn't mean that they can't be challenged. I mean, I, I go back and I look at, uh, oh, God, I, you know what me and names. I can't remember his name, but he was a great French physicist. And uh, this is around the time, I believe, early 1900s, when uh, Madame Curie invented, uh, discovered X-rays and gamma rays were discovered. And he discovered the N-ray. And that was ah yes, <laughs> and it's, and that was all accepted through France it and everything was, else, wasn't it? Yes, the end rays. Yes, and then eventually, uh, what had happened is that it was a, a German physicist working for the Kaiser couldn't reproduce the work, so he went to an American because uh, he certainly wasn't going to go to France, and uh, he asked he asked America. He says, you know, can you go and check this out for me? And he says, well, you got a problem. Why can't you check it out? He says, well, it is France. And I certainly can't go in. But anyway, so the American says, yeah, because we're unembarrassable. We can go in. And he said, yeah. So they went in and they actually uh, went to the, the gentleman, the scientist, a well-respected physicist. Uh, and uh, he soon realized by, uh, you know, it was one of those things that it, he believed he was seeing N-rays because you had to see with the peripheral of your eye. But it wasn't really there. So no matter what they did, he, he would say it was there when it shouldn't have been there and it wasn't there when it should have been there. So his work was totally uh, in the, the hopper. Yeah, sci science is um, it's far from infallible. So in fact, science moves forward by, by studying its own mistakes. Uh, they put forward an idea, they'll test it, and then they'll find that there's a weakness in the argument and they'll redefine the, 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 the tests. Uh, sometimes they, they go off in completely the wrong direction, and, uh, but they have methods, they have peer review, they have um, journals, and 
the way that, that science works as a methodology, it aims to remove most of these uh, blind alleys. It isn't. It, isn't, it isn't perfect, but it's a lot more perfect than sticking it onto YouTube, drawing a red ring round it. Yeah, then, I know. You know, that, that is not a method. Much. Yeah, that's not a method for, for conducting peer review, because if you then try and review the evidence by, by asking questions or challenging the evidence that's presented, what normally happens is instead of the person considering the point that you're making, they block you and delete you mm -hmm. and abuse you. Uh, so that is not how the scientific peer review process works. The scientific peer review process works by looking at those objections and then looking at your own research to see um, if they are valid. And I, I know, think amateurs... when you think about this guy, though, I mean, he did it, and there were other physicists at the time, French physicists, who reproduced the experiment and were getting the same results. And and yet, it would seem like it was only in France that this occurred. And yet, uh, everybody outside the, of France couldn't do this. So, well, it why could be something. Did... Well, you never know. It might be the end rate only exists in parts of France. Oh, that could be it. Yeah. Well, you know, we, you can't be an expert in end rays. Uh, <laughs> it was interesting. It's a really uh, interesting. No, science, thing. science, science is full of anomalies and mistakes and blind alleyways, and most scientists will tell you that and will freely admit it. But you do have there is a degree within science. There is a degree of scientism, and I'm sure that you've heard people saying, "Well, as a scientist." Um, it, you know, with these qualifying statements that, that basically says I'm cleverer than you are. Well, science is not about being clever. Science is about using a certain set of methods and techniques. So, so Steve, what's the difference between saying that as a scientist and then saying there are no experts in the thing, but then you said you can be... Yeah, oh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I didn't. No, what the, what one of the arguments is there are you can't you can't uh, there are no experts in the paranormal. And yet you say there are because if you are. What a, I say is that there is. Uh, you can have expertise in the techniques of looking for the paranormal, such as measuring stuff and understanding humans, because a paranormal experience. If somebody sees a ghost or an uh, uh, has some sort of uh, other untoward. Uh, event take place there are two parts of it there is the part that that may be external to them that may have other witnesses uh, that may be uh, objectified by a piece of equipment measuring it and there is also the human experience because that person you know heart 50 percent of a paranormal experience is a per uh, is a person the person exactly. having the experience the other 50 percent may be outside them or it may be you know internal internally generated within 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 the uh within the the person's brain or physiology so you can you can have expertise in in ghost hunting and so why paranormal can't investigation say, techniques. so why can't you say then as a scientist why can't you use that no, no, it's it's the it's the way that I, w I was referring to the qualifying statement made by some parapsychologists who who start their conversational piece with either that's interesting, but or yeah, I know I, I saw this, which was good, but yeah, I'm or as a scientist, you can be scientist, but why you know why can't you flaunt that as well, saying I am a scientist? Then, you well, know, what what a scientist is simply somebody who does science. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't. 
a monk, you and I could be a scientist. Science is a methodology. It's not a qualification. Mm. Uh, we have we have qualifications in science, but not, and we we have this general term that people uh, who are who do science are scientists. But science itself is a methodology. It's a series of techniques that any competent amateur can undertake. In fact, some of our greatest scientific breakthroughs have been made by self-taught scientists. That was it's the just, doorbell, which means yes, I heard it. Dead's, dead's from here, so we've got to wrap it up. So, uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, I, no, I agree with you on that part. Uh, you know, I, I always, you know, because it's such an unknown field, and I used to get uh, criticism constantly because I, uh, you know, they're in my book they call me a paranormal scientist. Uh, my author, the the uh, the uh, what do you call it? The publisher uh, came up with that, so I used to take a lot of shit for that. But um, in, in a way, I, I don't shy away from it anymore. So, anyways. That being said, that being well, you said, do, you, you're using scientific techniques, so that makes you a scientist. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so time to wrap. What? 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 I know, but then I've just been told that we still have a little bit more time. So, <laughs> oh. well, do the weather forecast for New England because you got uh, a nor'easter. No, I do see a cloud, so there you go. And we could do the sport tonight, today in uh, in in in. Because then they always finish the shows nowadays with the sports news. Okay, we could do that. How about paranormal sports? You know, what was the Yankees that used to play with a head? Uh, it was. Um, it was the oh. South American tribes who used to play football with the, the heads of, a vic- of their victims um, and then drink chocolate out of the upturned skull. So that was topical in view of our guest Ooh, tonight. Chocolate. That's good, yeah. I don't think their chocolate tasted anything like the, the current stuff that we used to, like Hershey bars. So there's a tunes, which means we really have to go now. Yay! <laughs> so once again, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Lloyd, for... Uh, uh, joining us, and we got to have him back. Yeah, I, I love speaking with that gentleman. Uh, I, can't, I can't, I can't disagree with that statement. All right. So till uh, next time. Good night. God bless y'all. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.